Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Pod22. I'm your host, Philip Baird. On this week's episode, I have the pleasure of welcoming Elliot Jackson. Elliot is a former professional downhill biker and World Cup racer, and currently a Red Bull presenter. He is also the founder of the Grow Cycling Foundation and the CEO and founder of Reggie, an online discovery platform for races and ride events. It's also a place where you can connect with other riders and with the riding community at large, where you can get feedback from training to discovering your new favorite downhill spot. As you'll hear from this episode, he had a crazy childhood and an even crazier early adulthood on the road. Elliot comes from a family of entrepreneurs. He's a super humble dude, an awesome musician, and in my opinion, a really good programmer. Reggie is just about to launch. It's the product of his love for the mountain biking community, his programming skills, and a desire to create something unique. I've left a link in the description to Reggie, to his foundation, and to his Instagram. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, welcome to the live show. We're joined with uh, Elliot Jackson from Reggie. Hey, Elliot, how's it going? Hey, how are you? I love the the intro video. That was awesome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I had help from a common friend of ours, uh, Ollie from Rad Season. So maybe a special shout out to him. He was the mastermind behind this. So yeah, I nice. thank him. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing super well. It's been like a, a busy like start to the season. Just... Um, like switched up a bunch of sponsors, mountain biking sponsors, doing a bunch of photo shoots. Like, I don't know, everything that I'm passionate about is like firing. So <laughs> I've uh, been busy, but been good. I know it's a, it's a common theme and it's a, it's one that we're really tired to talk about, but uh, I did want to touch a little bit about the pandemic because exactly almost like a year ago, I think you were in New Zealand, kind of like when the sort of lockdown was happening. Can you tell us a bit about that that experience? Like what 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 happened? Totally. So there's this event called Crankworks, uh, and it's in Rotorua, North Island of New Zealand. And we were there, and it was like over the week, things just started heating up. Where beginning was like, yeah, I heard this. There's coronavirus thing, and then next thing you know, like somebody got sick, and then next thing you know, it's like, hey maybe we should try to get back home because they might close the borders and then like barely made it home. I remember like being in the airport and like it started to get really busy. So like got back home and I think like the next couple of days, uh, California shut down, which is where I'm at. Yeah. It was, it was a trip. Like I always say, I wish we all would have had a recording of ourselves around that time where it was like, yeah, I don't think it'll be that bad. Like probably blow over or whatever. Like, you know, get back to normal, <laughs> whatever yeah, two it was. Months. Yeah, like SARS, just, just yeah, like SARS right, again. Right. Yeah, yeah. But no, a year later. I do want to talk a lot about the the Girl Cycling Foundation and Reggie. But uh, first, maybe we'll 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 circle back and 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 go uh, where your story kind of began. Uh, you now live in California, but I don't think that's where you were born. Where did you grow up uh, exactly? Yeah, so I'm originally from Oklahoma. Uh, I moved to California when I was like ten or eleven, so I kind of feel like I. At this point, I think I've like switched because it's like over half my life. I'm 30 now. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, so we, we grew up in, in Oklahoma uh, and riding motocross. Like that was kind of what we did. I uh, was laughing before the show. Like I would say like I'm a middle school dropout because we started doing homeschool when I was in middle school because we were racing motocross. We were traveling around the country from East Coast to West Coast. My 
driving with my parents, ended up winning like four or five national championships. And um, then kind of stopped when I was 15 or 16. And instead of like going back to high school, I just went to community college, got my high school diploma and like did a couple of years of, um, of community college uh, before I started racing mountain bikes. Wow. And what sparked your interest for, for motocross? It was like, I think it was just my dad. Like I probably got my first motorcycle when I was four or five. Wow. <laughs> they make him in that size. Yeah, they make him tiny. Like <laughs> you see the kids like riding around. So they actually have a, a class. Like it's funny to think about now, but like a four to six class. And those kids like are super good and they travel around, right? Like they travel around to these nationals and like you can win a national championship when you're in the four to six class, which is crazy to think about. So I imagine you traveled a lot during that time when you were, you were competing in, in the motocross, uh, like, you know, you're still, you're still a young kid, but the, how was that experience? Yeah, I think um, it's, it makes me think uh, of, of like other sports because, you know, you're young. I was 13, 14. It was... I was a professional athlete. Like mm -hmm. I practiced six days a week, you know, trained, ran, like ate well. And that was kind of why we did homeschool because there was like no time to, there was no way that you could compete at the, at the top level and still like go to school or have a normal life, go hang out with friends and stuff like that. So yeah, we would, we would spend actually, because my dad's still in Oklahoma, we would spend summers in mm -hmm. Oklahoma and then winters in California and when we were in Oklahoma, you know, we'd go to Texas and go up to Michigan, go to the East Coast. And when we were in California, you know, drive, there was one race in Florida, one in Tennessee, one in Las Vegas. So it was like all over the place. I got, I got this really cool experience of seeing so much of the country. Now going to like sort of the, the mountain biking, how was, how was that shift from motocross? Like, did you pick it up like instantly? Was it uh, super easy? So I kind of had this uh, parallel experience where I was riding bicycles, not competitively or anything while mm. I was racing motocross. And then after I stopped racing motocross, there was like this two or three year period where I was kind of normal, got into music, you know, just like hung out with friends, was like riding a lot of like dirt jumps and stuff like that. And it wasn't until I was 18 when my friend convinced me to go up to Whistler in Canada to try downhill biking. So it was this kind of perfect mesh motocross, which is faster, kind of rougher, whatever. And then I had some bicycle skills from all my little BMX dirt jumps and stuff like that. It was just such an amazing experience. I remember I got into skateboarding after watching some videos in their like late, late nineties, early two thousands. Were there videos that kind of inspired you as well? Or did you have like early mentors when, when you first got into it, uh, after, after that, like baptism of fire and <laughs> totally for sure. I had some videos. There's this one called three focus and I would watch it over and over and over again. <laughs> it was just so cool. Um, and I can definitely relate to the skate videos cause I, I skate. I skated as younger and like watched the toy machine videos and zero videos or like four ones and stuff like that. I think I, I definitely miss that culture, you know, where you would like a new video would come out and you would just watch it over and over. And now it feels more continuous where there's always content coming out on YouTube and it's, it's less, it's less of a big deal. It's shorter form and stuff like that. So I definitely am glad that I came up when I did where there was these like just this one or, you know, the canonical videos in the, in the space that I got to watch and, um, have inspire me. Cool. And, uh, I think your, your first, 
Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Your first uh, World Cup downhill event that was in Italy. What was the experience like? And <laughs> I, I've read online that you know these World Cup events are like they're wild parties. Are they still <laughs> are they still wild parties today, or is it kind of like you know toned down because you know people are a little bit more serious these days? Totally. I um, it's funny because like that first experience, I was so naive. I just went with my brother and my mom didn't know anything like I brought like a little multi-tool or whatever and I had my bike like flipped upside down behind like this 18 wheel like semi truck uh oh specialized or whoever it was and I had never been out of the country I didn't know what jet lag was I was just like man it's one o'clock I'm feeling tired I'm I'm out <laughs> I'm just gonna go to bed <laughs> so that was like it was such a crazy experience because I think I had pushed so hard to get there and not taken the traditional path of you know, going to smaller races and building up and getting on a team. It was just like, man, I'm going to save up my money. I'm going to go over there and like, see how it goes. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, I do feel like there was a period in like, I don't know, maybe 12, 13, where like there was so, and it, there were obviously like parties back in the day for sure. Like people would be drinking beers and then like go and race. But I feel like the, peak of it for me when I was like in the scene um, and people hadn't got as serious as they are now (laughs) or you would still like have some parties but then I think mountain biking is unique because everything is so much of a mental game Mm -hmm. where everyone is training really hard like especially now everyone's training so hard training like all year long um, for these races but if you think about it it's like three minutes you have six chances. Um, you're traveling around the world. You're sitting at the starting line and you have three minutes to do a perfect run. Mm-hmm. And so it's really about saying like, how close can I get to my optimal performance? And that's like totally a mental thing. You know, you could lose a race by like 0.002 seconds. And that's, you know, just like that. And so like mentally, how do you kind of prepare yourself and um, do that? So I think that there's like the culture and, and things like that you have to be chill. You have to be yourself. You have to like learn what it means to like get the best performance out of yourself. And it's like, if that's eating a cookie before you go down the hill, then like eat the cookie, (laughs) you know, Um, like like the mental uh, boost that you're going to get, if that's your thing, uh, it's going to be way better than like eating some sugar. And, and that ties into another question I had, um, because I know, I know like for like road racing, it's extremely difficult to become a pro biker or to, to just, you know, earn money from, from that living, you know, sometimes you'll just get a sponsor. It'll be like, well, we're going to give you this very expensive bike, but that's, you know, that's it. How difficult is it to be like a pro mountain biker? When you really think about it in terms of the numbers where maybe the top 30 people are making a good living uh, or a living, right? Like where I can like pay my bills. I'm not living in some huge house or like have a nice car or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, like in that 30th place but you're like okay 30 people that are racing downhill out of however many million people ride downhill you know not every single person is pursuing a career but that's a pretty small percentage of people um, that you have to be into you have to beat millions of people and be better than millions of people to do this Um, and i think it's the same in in many sports and i think we actually because of the variance that comes with that those tight of margins. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we kind of have it relatively good where in a lot of sports, like in F1, you know, you could be like, yeah, Lewis Hamilton's probably going to win. 
And in downhill, because there's so many variables um, and it's so uncertain, you could have a guy who gets 15th place the week before come and win a race the next week uh, because they just get that perfect run. Mm -hmm. You do have, I think it, it lowers some of the pay for like those top athletes, but then it kind of raises the people who um, normally wouldn't be getting paid in other sports. Couple, a couple of last questions, you know, for, for people who don't really do mountain biking, um, you know, for somebody who's like, you know, has done biking, but just not really downhill mountain biking, how would you describe the feel of like going down a run, you know, from going like one obstacle to another and, you know, just, yeah ripping it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i i feel like you know for me it was always like my best runs were always like so deliberate um where i was like okay i'm gonna go to the right of this rock take half a pedal like go like two inches over this like take a right here put my feet here put my tires here mm-hmm. and i just loved that i loved like the precision of it thinking about like the strategy of like, where do you pedal? Which turns do I really need to take speed into? Uh, what is the most important part of the track? And I think that to me was like the best feeling of like, just executing everything perfect when you're on that perfect run, kind of like the, you know, that, that, that flow state and the flow state for me was just like this, um, like really smooth, deliberate thing. And I think that that is, uh, that was the coolest part about like racing world cups. Yeah. Uh, you have me convinced. Um, <laughs> uh, that's, that's really cool. One, one last question on the, the sort of mountain bike uh, segment. I read that uh, one of your favorite courses is actually here in Quebec. It's called, uh, it's at Mont Saint-Anne, which I know a lot for skiing. Really curious to know why, why do you like Mont Saint-Anne uh, so much? I wonder like, I think I have always like had good luck there. I got my first top 10 there and it was, it was like super long and fast and it wasn't too, too steep where most of the time you were like kind of wanting to gather more speed rather than like some of the tracks you're just trying to slow down the whole time. Um, like you can't stop if you wanted to. And I think at, at Mount Saint-Anne, like you couldn't stop in some of those sections either. It's like one that has the fastest section on the circuit where you're going like 82 K down like this. Run. Um, but yeah, I don't know why I think like just, uh, just the, the vibe there, um, the, uh, the track, um, there's like a go-kart place, like kind of down the street. Like you get to beat up on some of the people you race. <laughs> Yeah, it's great. It's Post race competition. I like that. Yeah. It's like always pre. It's always pre race competition. And you're like, you show up to this place and you're like, like yeah, I, I smoked you. Um, yeah, good luck. Like, <laughs> Uh, I have, I have so many questions for you, but before I get into, you know, some of the uh, more serious projects, I know that, you know, one of your interests is music, you know, quick, quick little question on that. Uh, what are your favorite instruments and and why, why have you picked up such an interest for, for music? Yeah, I think it was so interesting where I, I play guitar, um, and drums. I'm probably the best at guitar. Not good though. And it was, uh, I don't remember why I started playing. I started playing drums first, but I don't remember why I started, I picked up guitar. I think I had this phase where I was super into like Metallica, Iron Maiden, and really just like guitar music. 
And then that led into a phase of like a lot of prog stuff, dream theater, um, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I just started playing the guitar. And then I started recording myself and I realized that I actually like recording better than I liked playing. So uh, at my parents' house, they had like a little studio that the person that came before them. So over the years, I just like got equipment. It was empty, like just got equipment and um, started recording a lot of bands. And, you know, I, I would play guitar because I felt like it was important for me to know how to communicate. If it was like, oh, it was a key change or, you know, maybe this harmony would sound good. Uh, with this piece or or something like that. But I just love music, like love jazz, love going to see live music, just something I think that's always been a part of me. And uh, I still play guitar a little bit, not as much as I used to, but it's definitely one of those things that just like get to sit down and and relax and kind of unwind with the guitar. It's really cool. And, you know, we're going to get into the discussion about uh, Reggie, but before I, I, I want to go at maybe a little bit, a couple of years back, you were still pro and you decided to pick up programming, like, and, and you registered at a college. Um, why did, what made you want to pick up a computer, computer science? Yeah, it's, I think it's interesting because I've always been super into computers uh, my whole life, like mm-hmm. I mentioned we did homeschool and when I was, I must've been 10 or 11, I actually <laughs> was on these message boards and I programmed a key logger in Visual Basic nice. to get <laughs> to get my mom's teacher's password or whatever. <laughs> so like she would log on and I would have this key logger that got the password and then like she would go out of the room or whatever. I put in the password, go get all the answers and then be like, <laughs> all good. Like I'm finished with school. And like, at first, I remember the first time she was like, I did it in like 20 minutes or something. She's like, how did you finish that? And I was like, oh, I got to like play it cool. You know, like I need to take at least an hour. And I think I always like, <laughs> I like programmed a couple little things. Like I was super young and then, yeah, I actually like played like semi-professional video games for a while when I was like 13 or 14. And so it was like kind of that early internet culture. And, um, and then started racing mountain bikes and still did a little bit of stuff, uh, like a little bit of coding stuff, but n- not really that serious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I stopped racing World Cups full time in 2017, I was like, man, like, what am I going to do? Like, I don't really want to be like in the bike industry, like mm-hmm. get a team manager job or a marketing job or something like that. And I wanted to be like a software engineer, or data scientist. So I, I built this website that actually, because as a racer, you would have qualifying and then finals or like time training, qualifying finals. And they would give you these PDFs with like all the split times, mm-hmm. uh, which would be like your 30 seconds to here, a minute to here, whatever. And we would all be reading these PDFs that were like, okay, I think from split one to split two, I was 40 seconds. Yeah. Uh, let me calculate the next guy or whatever. You could analyze so, the data. Yeah. Totally, totally. And so like I built this program or this website that um, like automatically scraped all of the data off, like formatted it and then put it on to put it online um, and just like built this ETL pipeline with Python and AWS and all that stuff. And all the riders like loved it. It was, it's like uh, all the teams and riders were just like, thought it was awesome because you can really see like I built all these graphs and I built this little thing that like it was like a horse racing thing kind of like you could replay <laughs> the race with like lines 
And I think it was, you know, for me, I thought about going to school, but I never have really been super into like academia. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had this choice to make where I think the place that I'm strong is really the being able to practice, being able to focus. And I think sports for me, it was always, it was always appealing that if I was good enough, you know, I could get a sponsorship or a ride, right? Like if I go and win a race, like somebody will call me up, like I can get a job. And I think programming mm-hmm. is similar to that where like, if you're a great coder, then you can get a job. And it's really about the skill level that you have rather than having to, you know, play a bunch of politics. Obviously there is like once you get there, whatever. But um, I think that was always really appealing for me. So it kind of started in 2018 where I started programming a lot. Um, like every day and um, building websites and, you know, doing some consulting stuff. And then, yeah, like started Reggie in end of 2018, I guess, beginning of 2019. And uh, I've just been like kind of working, working on it, like on and off and like. Yeah. And it's so cool because you kind of answered one of my questions Usually the best way to, to learn programming is to have that project. And you just, you just told me what the project was. So totally. that's, that's awesome. And um, I, I'm glad that you brought up Reggie. Um, I know what Reggie is, but maybe maybe uh, it's best that you describe what Reggie is to, to people listening right now. Yeah, for sure. I think of um, at a really high level, it's like, how do you connect people using the bicycle? And, you know, even somebody like me who is a... I'm super embedded in the bike world, um, have a lot of domain knowledge. Like if you ask me, where do I find a coach? Where do I um, find a race? Where do I find a group ride? You know, what is the right one for me to go to? You know, what does it look like? I wouldn't be able to tell you. And I, I kind of make the comparison to travel in the early 90s or late 90s where you would have to go somewhere to figure out where you wanted to go go somewhere else to maybe like try to book a flight, um, go somewhere else to like get some travel and things like that. And there was just like no good information. It was like this big asymmetric information problem where the kind of the supply had like everything. Right. And like, for me as a consumer, I'm just like, all right, I think my friend said that this was a cool place to stay, (laughs) but I have no idea. Like there's no reviews. There's no nothing. There's no pictures. Don't know what's around it. Uh, so I'm just going to go for it. And I think that like travel has come a long way and especially things like Airbnb. And I think that that's kind of what we, what I'm trying to do in, in cycling is, is give you more information around like the experience that you're about to have. Um, so you can make a better decision around what that experience could be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but the there will like on Reggie, there's um there's gonna be basically a lot of the these mountain biking and other cycling events uh for, for people to either register or discover. I've been to a mountain biking event and I have like I, I won't comment on the experience. It's it's been it, it's crazy. But how would you describe it to either an amateur or somebody who's never been to one? Like what's what's the atmosphere like? Yeah, totally. I think like the bigger cycling events, especially like the World Cups or a crankworks or sea otter or something like that it's like a i don't know it's like a festival in some ways and then like the world cups you know you would kind of imagine it being like a a moto gp race or a formula one race on a much smaller scale and i think that you know one of the things with reggie around and there are there are smaller events as well like smaller races local races and things like that 
And so if I'm going to do a local race, like I want to be able to see right now, like what you get is a flyer on PDF, like no pictures or anything like that. It's just like a one page thing. And so for me, it's kind of saying, okay, like, where is this race? What are the pictures? What's the schedule like? What does the course look like? What you know, think about it? Level? totally right. Like yeah. how have other people's experiences been? And that way, because I think at the end of the day, the thing that you remember is not like, how well did I do in this race or how fun was this ride? It was kind of like around the experience. It's, it's about the experience around it, right? It's about traveling with your friends, having that like adventure of like your car breaking down and then you go to the race, like somebody crashes and then you like go get some food afterward. You like, you know, go to the bar, like. I think the event is almost the facilitation of like the fun that comes around like doing any activity. And in this case, it's like the bicycle. And then I think that there's this other piece like in talking about coaching where right now it's really difficult to like run a coaching business where you're like kind of hobbling together like all these pieces, like you have to have Stripe and then you got to have a Squarespace and then you have to do your marketing somewhere. Like you got to build an audience on Instagram and then like, how do I communicate? How do I do my taxes? And like really providing the tools uh, for a coach mm -hmm. and um, also like for people like me, like an athlete where I get a ton of DMs all the time, like with people wanting to be, to get coaching, but there's like all this friction where it's like, ah, like, where do I get insurance? Um, mm. I don't even know what that looks like. Do I need insurance and all this stuff where there is like a big portion of like underutilized talent, you would mm -hmm. say as an athlete. Because, and I think it's a cool way for an athlete or somebody like that to monetize what they do. Because right now you would, I think it's, it's kind of an interesting thing because the way you monetize as an athlete right now is to say like, okay, like let's say an athlete gets paid $10,000 from their, their tire company. And they're actually creating probably like $100,000 for a value for that tire company for it to make sense for them to pay an athlete that much. But then you would say, well, the athlete's probably creating like a million dollars worth of value for the world. But the tire company, the way that they, the way the athlete monetizes is by the tire company's ability to sell goods against that value, if that makes sense. So like the athlete is like, providing like all of this goodwill, maybe you watch some, them on Instagram, um, you make them laugh for two seconds or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so like, how do you allow the athlete to capture more of that value that they're creating rather than having to go through a company or like be an influencer? And I think like with Reggie really wanting to allow people to like monetize their skill, right? Like you are a professional athlete. People want to learn from you. They want to interact with you. They want to have the status of saying, hey, I like took lessons from this guy uh, or this girl. And I think just like allowing them to have another revenue stream like that to do, do what they like love to do and what they're really good at and allow them to like interact directly with, with the fans and, and people who find that stuff valuable is, is also a cool thing. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, it's so great because the mountain biking and and biking or riding community at large is 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 a phenomenal community and i've i witnessed it firsthand i hadn't i was completely clueless but 6 years ago i traveled to for vacation and my the the reason for my travel to this place it was Boone in North Carolina in the Appalachian Mountains 
and I was going for mostly hiking and we stayed at an Airbnb and the, the hosts were actually huge mountain bikers and I had no clue, but you know, they had a WhatsApp group and they had a couple of trails and they would message each other. And, and today was a cleaning day and they would all show up and clean up the trail so that the entire, the group could use it. It could be salvageable for when they had a local race. And then they brought us to, you know, uh, a bar that had like an event for them. And right. they had a little mini race and there was a couple of people that came. One of them was a Red Hook cycling uh, racer. Yeah. Um, so it was for Fixie. Uh, and I totally. met him and he was like, he was like a champion. I was like, what? <laughs> and, you know, like I never would I thought like these people were so approachable and, mm -hmm. and it's, it really speaks to the community and, and it's great. And how like, how, what do you think uh, makes it such a strong, like I've seen that that's, that's my interpretation of this strong community, but what, what makes you think that the, this mountain biking community is, is really strong? Yeah. I think that's an interesting one because um, I don't know what it, I don't know what it is of, about it uh, that makes, that makes people just want to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. um, that makes people want to feel connected. You know, I, I think that there's just like something to be said around, like what it means to be in the outdoors with someone, um, mm. what it means to like, yeah, be like riding up a, uh, up a chairlift with someone or up a fire road. But yeah, I, I feel that for sure. And I think that that is the draw for a lot of people is, um, just that, that community aspect where it's not so much. And I think it was one of the things that I had to learn as well. When I was kind of like first starting Reggie, I was like, okay, like it's all about racing people want to race or whatever, because I race and it's like, well, no, it's really about the experience, right? It's about the experience of riding the bike about the connection and, and really just, uh, yeah, like being in the outdoors. I, I think it's like, of course it's different for everyone, but yeah. I think that experience of just like good, fun, like, like you said, like having a whatever race in the bar, like all that stuff is just super cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's great that, cause I don't think there is a platform that can, that really portrays that reality, which is, which is, it exists. It really is true. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there, there are these discovery platforms like, you know, trail forks and, and single tracks, and they, they, they show you where to go and do some, some, you know, to go with your mountain bike and then try some new trails, but they don't tell you like who you could meet or totally. who could help you with the training. And yeah. I think these are really cool things that you're trying to solve. Have there been any headaches in, in that, that, that sort of thing so far, or, or is like everything's going up to speed so far? You know, I think it's interesting. Like it, one thing to your point there is like the trail forks. I being, I, Every time I go somewhere new, somebody always introduces me to it. Mm -hmm. I never, and so I, you know, I, my girlfriend just started riding last year and I was like, okay, cool. I should go on trail forks. And, um, I was like, okay, there's this like blue run and I think it should be fine. And then next thing you know, we're like lost in the woods at dark or whatever. Cause like we had done a, we had done a blue run like the other day and it was like perfectly fine. But then we did this blue run and it like, wasn't awesome at all. Like and I got us lost cause it like took too long. There's like too much climbing and stuff. And so I think that even though you know uh, where to, even though you have the information, like the information, like you said, you need, you need to be able to connect with someone 
um, and ride with someone, have somebody like show you the, the good route. Um, and so you can like plan that stuff together. And I think in terms of like headaches, I mean, it's just like such a big process. There hasn't really been like too many technically any headaches and we're, so we're like not launched yet. Like we, um, I'm planning on hopefully launching everything in a month or two, two, three months, but you know, we're on bootstrapped. Um, it's really about like getting it right. Just like communicating with people, figuring out what people want. Like I'm lucky enough to have a ton of access so I can talk to coaches, talk to event organizers, talk to companies, talk to racers and cyclists, um, say like, what problems have you had? What are you missing? Like, why don't you do this? Like how many races do you go to? How many rides do you go on? Like, what does cycling mean to you? So that can really try to build something for people. And I feel lucky that I'm able to take my time and do it because I think that so much of the time, like when people are building companies, it's like, ah, you have to like build an MVP in a month and then launch it and then like do this and you should raise money and like all that stuff. And, and there's like many different ways, you know. And acquiring the tech debt that goes along the way too. <laughs> totally, totally. I mean, I think that that's like the thing too that I think about, which is, you know, I'm a solo founder and like I have uh, one engineer who's like working with me part-time, mm -hmm. but I know that there are certain features that need to get built. But as soon as you launch, it's like you're fixing bugs, you're doing customer support, you're selling, you're doing all this stuff. And so like those features like don't end up getting built um, even though they need to, you know? Mm. So if I have, you know, if I do a survey and everyone is like, yeah, we need like a way to, to subscribe or some, something like that. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to build that yet. I'll build it later. And then I like launch and people are like, Hey, we need a place to like subscribe or something like that. And it's like, well, um, now I don't have time. So I, I think also like taking that approach of, of really just saying, okay, what is version one? Mm -hmm. uh, what do people want? having like the long-term vision to say like, this is where we will be going, um, but providing that version one product instead of maybe providing the 0.5 MVP yeah. uh, will allow me to really, I think, provide a better experience like once we do launch. Cool. Exciting. Before I, I go into the sort of the last part of the, of the podcast, uh, I, it was uh, one of my questions and yeah, I was hoping you could uh, tell us a little bit more about uh, the Girl Cycling Foundation that you uh, created last year. Totally. Yeah. So I think one of the things that last year had a little bit more mind share to think about was just like my path into cycling and like what opportunities uh, people have and just kind of like recognizing that like, you know, if you grew up in the city, you you know, the closest mountain might be like an hour away. <laughs> um, probably doesn't make sense for me to even pursue mountain biking or anything like that. So we're mm -hmm. just, I think about it as like an infrastructure nonprofit where it's really about saying like, how can we put some cycling programs in schools? We're building a pump track in Los Angeles, which is just like a series of little rollers um, that you can ride like a smaller mountain bike on. And then like working at like making jobs more accessible. Uh, like, so started a jobs board and like, it's really awesome. It's like getting a job put on there every day uh, because just like in all industries, you get a job by like emailing someone or like texting a friend or whatever. So I think, yeah, just like trying to provide some more infrastructure, letting people uh, pursue the path of cycling, whether that's like be an athlete or 
a marketer or whatever that means to them. And so I, yeah, super excited about that. And I think it's, uh, it's going well and like looking forward to letting people. And I think it's, it's kind of a cool thing where have the nonprofit that's like helping people get into cycling yeah. uh, and then have like Reggie, which is like helping people have a great time once they're into um, cycling. So yeah, pretty and- awesome. It's it's very commendable, um, <laughs> if I may say so. And it's it's cool because you know uh, we have this this conversation often here in Canada about like you know ice hockey not being very accessible because like you know ice time is expensive, like mm. uh, operating arena is expensive, the equipment's expensive, and so it's the same thing. You know, like you know, getting to a, a, a hill unless you live in you know in Colorado next to those mountains, uh, it's not it's not like super you know accessible so totally. uh, i mean hats off to you my next question is you know you you're now an entrepreneur you're building your own platform you have a podcast you have a brand you have a nonprofit. <laughs> did young elliot when he was r- like ripping those motocrosses did he think he was gonna be doing all that you know 20 years later you know i think um i i don't think i for sure never thought i was gonna start a nonprofit, and i always said like I would never be an entrepreneur because both my parents are entrepreneurs. You know, we started, you know, they had nothing um, when I was little and they both built these super successful businesses. And I got to see firsthand how difficult that was. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, like this, there's no way or whatever. But I think it was inevitable because they taught me all these lessons, right? Like I might not have been in high school, but like while we were racing, they were saying like, okay, Elliot, like what is your value? Like, why are you valuable to this company? Um, how would you make this work? You know, what is the the benefit of you practicing? Like, how are you going to present yourself? Like all of these things, there were always lessons. And, and so I think over the last like five or six years, I just like fell into loving business, loving programming and tech and, and all of these things. And, uh, and I think too, when I was riding, I never, I never thought that I would, my end goal was like never to have like a super long career, like racing the bike. It was always, I always knew I wanted to do a lot of other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's just like ended up happening like that. And I, I think it just ended up happening that I started a, a company that was like related to bikes, um, and all of these things. But I do think it was probably inevitable is like much as 20 year ago, Elliot would have uh, liked to say otherwise. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm really happy you ended up being uh, where you're at today. I think, I think it's awesome what you're doing for the community and for, for mountain biking at large. Um, I have a, another, I'm going to use an, a Canadian analogy, but um, is, uh, is Greg Menar still the Wayne Gretzky of mountain biking? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> is, it, is there a new, uh, is there somebody is coming up? Is there like a, you know, I mean, there's people that are coming up, but Greg's the guy, like <laughs> he's the goat. Like, <laughs> I mean, even last goat. year he's like still winning races and like, yeah, he's just too much. He's the greatest of all time. It's <laughs> cool. You know, one, one talking a little bit more about travel, uh, one thing I've I've noticed, and you know, I have a, a colleague, Alistair, who can attest to that. Um, there's more and more like interest as a family um, to travel for mountain biking. So, kind of like, you know, traditionally skiing was one of those sports mm-hmm. where you would you would you would you know March break you would go to a hill for the week, you know, stay at a hotel and ski every day. Um, now it's kind of like that with mountain biking. 
Uh, do you feel like that's going to continue to grow? What, what do you like? There's mountain bikes, mountain bike parks are like, you know, booming everywhere. How do you see this like grow, uh, you know, in the next 10 years? Totally. I mean, I think, I think for sure it will just grow like each, I, I get the, the kind of privilege to talk to a lot of cities, a lot of companies to like, see what that growth looks like um, mm-hmm. from an industry point of view. And then you have cities who are investing in cycling infrastructure, bike lanes, pump tracks, dedicated cycling spaces, trails, all of these things. And I think for us, like that was one of the cool things about State 22 was, was having this platform, again, that provides that information where so many of these cycling events or even cycling spaces, like even if I did want to go to a ski resort, like where do I stay? And and I think that that was, uh, that was really important for us um, and for me to be able to say, like, where is good accommodation? Like, you ask anyone who does any sort of cycling event, that's like one of their number one things is like, where do I stay when I get there? Um, you know, <laughs> good question. <laughs> you know, thinking about where it's like, um, okay, like, like the typical kind of workflow right now is like saying, okay, here's this PDF. If it's a race or whatever, it's like, here's a PDF that has a location. Now I have to go to Expedia. And then I also have to like plug in these kind of like directions to be like, okay, here's Expedia, here's Google Maps and whatever. And so like having that all in one spot, it's like really cool. I yeah, think it's, it's great for the user, right? Cause like he totally. can see which like mountain bike park he wants to go or even which trail he wants to try. Okay. So some of these people that he recognizes say it's really good. Oh, I got yeah. all the information. I can check what our lodging is. The whole yeah, yay, the headache. Yeah, for sure. And I think it will like for sure continue because I think a lot of what happened during the pandemic was so many people got into the outdoors in their local communities and it was kind of a gateway. And so now everyone wants to experience outdoors other places. Yeah, so you know, I started riding in, yeah, like I started riding in Los Angeles, but now I heard about Whistler, or now I heard about Mont Saint Anne, or I heard about Morzine in France. And so I think as things start to open up, you'll see people start to travel to do all these sports that they learned uh, during the pandemic. We're coming towards the end, but I do have another question about mountain biking events. Out of all the ones that are going to be listed on on Reggie, are there any wacky ones that should make anybody's bucket list that you would recommend? I would say if you can get to a Crankworks event, um, there's one... Usually they have one in New Zealand, one in Austria, and then one in Whistler. And they're like this festival thing where the best riders in the world mm-hmm. from all these different disciplines, like slope style, where they do tricks, they have the downhill racing, they have, you know, pump tracks and things like that. Like a lot of times like in the village uh, under lights. Uh, and so you have being able to watch that and then being able to ride the mountains that are surrounding it. And then also like just being able to hang out with all these people, like great nightlife in all of these places. It's a really cool experience. And I think that would definitely be like a bucket list one if you wanted to go to a big mountain and biking event. I'm sold. <laughs> <laughs> so, so thank you for that. I know you, you spoke about the the platform being going live in, in you know, a couple of weeks. Right now, uh, I think people can go on goregi.com and, and subscribe to the new le- le- newsletter. Is that correct? Yeah, you can subscribe to the newsletter. Like right now, it's kind of just using it as like a hosting page for my podcast, which I haven't done an episode on in a while. But but yeah, like 
maybe, maybe like two months, <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe two to three months. Like, like I said, I think it's like trying to not go too fast or like have to raise money or anything like that um, to hire a bunch of people. So I just like wanted to get it right first and, um, and then put it out there. So for sure, going to have to let you guys know so you can check it out. And uh, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm very <laughs> excited. And uh, my final question for you is um, if people want to get into touch with you to discuss partnerships, either with uh, Reggie or with the, the Grow Cycling Foundation, uh, what's the best way they can reach you? Yeah, for sure. You can DM me on Instagram. I'm like the worst person at DMs. <laughs> you're also <laughs> you the most humble know. person. I think you're okay, man. I think yeah. you're, you're doing something right. Yeah, for sure. But I think, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I think um, if you want to get in touch with me about like anything Reggie um, or Grow, like you can email me at Elliot, E-L-I-O-T at goreggie.com. That is, I definitely will be excited to hear from you on that email. <laughs> Super. Elliot, thank you so much for coming on the pod. It's great to hear what you're doing. I'm I'm really excited to see what it's come. It's at a great time too, because I think the end of the summer seems to be, from all indications, the end of this pandemic. So maybe we'll have a little bit of a fall season for events. And I'm really excited to see where, where Reggie goes. Thank you for coming and, and good luck. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on and thanks for building a great product. <laughs>